Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Powered by the sales IQ Are you ready? Let's get to it. One of the words I use quite often because it is something I truly believe in is transparency. Transparency leads to better outcomes for your team, for your business, and for your customers. In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, I'm incredibly thrilled to share the story of Ryan Walsh, the CEO and founder at RepView. As Ryan shares, if you're a salesperson, how do you know what it's really like before joining a new organization? Typically, the only way to really know is to ask a friend or someone that you trust who actually works there. Today's podcast is sponsored by Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io slash RevEngine. And here comes RepView. So take a listen and learn more about how Ryan and RepView are helping sales professionals research, learn, and join the best run sales organizations, matching expectations with reality to help find success and find what we all want in sales to win. So excited to be here today with Ryan Walsh, the CEO and founder of RepView. For those who might not be familiar with RepView, RepView is the world's largest sales organization platform built by sales professionals for sales professionals to research, learn, and apply for sales roles at the best run sales organizations. So welcome, Ryan, and thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to just unpack your story and learn from you. Great. Yeah, no, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me and having me on uh, the podcast. Happy to talk about it and share a little bit more about what 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 my journey has been and where we're going with RepView. So, so let's talk a little bit about your career journey and sort of your backstory prior to RepView. You were at Channel Advisor for over 15 years, I think before starting your own consulting mm-hmm. firm, Growthline Consulting. Can you share more about maybe your backstory and your journey before RepView? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, you know, as you mentioned, as it relates to RepView, right, it's it's geared at helping sales professionals and and as a founder and CEO of a tech company, a lot of a lot of tech founders founders are have tech backgrounds or developers or engineers and that sort of thing. Well, I'm the opposite of that. So I'm a career salesperson. So spent now, you know, I won't say how many years, but many, many years uh, <laughs> in sales, both as for, for many years as an individual contributor. So as a, as a kind of, I spent about five years as an enterprise sales professional at Channel Advisor. And I started at that company uh, on day one, the first day it was founded. So, and I have some startup yeah. experience prior to that. So, I've been kind of in startups, but that one startup just happened to last 
a decade and a half. And, and through that run at Channelvisor, which is a SaaS company that helps e-commerce merchants sell on channels like Amazon, Walmart, and eBay, I eventually took over as a CRO and, and led the sales team from 2011 to 2017. Um, we grew from $35 million to 115 million while I was there running that sales organization. So, so my background spans everything from selling to director of sales, leading account executives, leading sales development reps. We started with sales development reps in 2007 or 2008, mm-hmm. I think. So pretty early on sales development. I had sales engineers and sales ops very, very early as well. Call it 15 years ago. Um, you know, so so selling, leading sales teams, leading account management teams, SDRs, AEs, sales ops, sales engineers, uh, customer success at, at small scales and at big scales. When I left there, the team was about 250 people. The sales org was about 250 people. Wow. And really, that was, you know, it was foundational in my experience and understanding what, you know, how are salespeople able to succeed, both from my own personal experience also from the experience of leading other salespeople, what environments do they need? What, you know, what type of communication works? How do we interview? How do we hire? Which is very hard. So that was that was the run there. The the growth line consulting piece was really when I left Channelvisor about four years after we did an IPO, I probably assumed that I was going to go back and be an operator. Uh, growth line was was kind of a fractional CRO type of uh, thing that I did for a number of smaller tech companies around the North Carolina region where I'm based. And while I was doing that, I spun up the idea of RepView kind of as a side project. And eventually, instead of going back to being an operator and leaving the consulting business, I left the consulting business, but it was to to go full-time on RepView. And I went full-time on RepView. I believe it was probably Q2 of 20 when I went full-time on, on RepView. So that's just a little bit about my background. I think, you know, we do a lot of content on various social channels related to sales. I personally do a lot. And it's it's founder and CEO, but from a background of selling and and empowering salespeople. And that's really core to our mission at RepView as well. I love that. I love that. So you talked about kind of doing RepView sort of on a part-time basis before you kind of went full-time. And, you know, as I've spoken to many guests on, on this podcast and other folks, a lot of times when I talk to a founder, it's like, okay, they had a problem or they saw a challenge and something that they were really trying to solve, right? Or there might have been just some kind of, you know, aha moment or an event that happens that sort of shapes this idea. Was this the case for RepView? Like, what was the original vision, I guess, for the company? And then maybe how has that changed over time? Yeah, yeah, happy to happy to talk about that. I mean, so so in, in my background, right? I, I've always seen salespeople, and I've I've witnessed the interview process upfront so many times, and it's just really hard to get the right information about companies prior to making an, an incredibly life changing decision about taking a job there, right? And I, I use the example of like take a take an account executive, especially you know, was, say the the on target earnings is one hundred and sixty k, right? Like, okay, that's pretty good. But literally a year out, you could be making 100K or you could be making 800K, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the delta there is so huge. And there are so many factors that go into whether you'll, where you'll be on that spectrum. A number of them are, are out of your control as a sales professional. So how do you extract the right information to make the decision for your career, whether you should join that org? And, and if, if you talk to people historically, it's kind of like, well, what's the best way to know, right? Well, the best way to know is you have a friend that works there, right? You can just call mm-hmm. that friend and... And you can ask them, hey, what's it like? What's the culture like? What's the boss like? I'm going to get this territory or I'm going to be on this team. Like what's going on? Like even in, in some works like team A, oh yeah, 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 be on that team B, no, avoid that team. And so yeah. there's so much variability. You have to have a, a friend that works there 
and the interview process isn't sufficient. And, and what that's led to is that there's high turnover in sales, higher than other uh, parts of the org. We know from our data, right, half the, roughly half the people are hitting quota, half are missing. And that's just not acceptable, really, in my opinion. And, and I witnessed it firsthand. We, we always had struggles with attrition and we did our best to hire. We did our best to be transparent, you know. And, and so the concept of Refu was, can we coll- like collect and aggregate data as if it's like you're the good friend, mm. right? And collect that data, aggregate it, and then deliver it to users, deliver it to salespeople such that they can make that decision. And so, so really, that's a great idea and it's a grand idea, but actually it's kind of hard though. It's like, how do you do that? Where do you even start? I'm in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina region. And I said, let me just, let me just like, we just built this basics called a survey, the ratings process. And let's just see if we can get enough data to aggregate it and, and publish profiles of companies. Mm-hmm. and in the Raleigh-Durham area. And so in 2019, we had a beta and we got about a thousand ratings and we published 20 to 25 profiles of companies and a company would only be published if we had seven or more ratings and and we launched it. We, we said, all right, here's 20, we're in beta, we're coming out of beta. And because now that we're out of beta, we, we launched those profiles and people loved it. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. this is amazing. But unfortunately, it was only like 20 profiles, right? It's like mostly local type tech companies. And it's like, well, where's Salesforce? Where's Oracle? Like, where, where are all these? Yeah. And so we knew and we, we, whenever I say we, if it's like before, like a year ago, it was pretty much just me. Um, <laughs> but, but, but I knew like, hey, well, there's really a market for the people really are digging this. If, and, and so the challenge is how do we just get more data? And so that's really what we focus on. And, and really what we've built in the mission is for a salesperson, the mission is don't ever go into a sales job, like an opportunity, a recruiter reaches out, you're interviewing. Don't ever go into it without full transparency into what it's really like. How much money can you earn? What are your chances of hitting quota? What's the culture like? And just all the data and information that you need to know if you personally can be successful in that role. And things have evolved and different products and features and that sort of thing has evolved. But really the core mission is absolutely still on track for users which is which is exactly that. And and then we can also use the data to help employers up level their org and you know get talent and things like that. So we we we'll, we're early in our monetization journey, but we're making money from employers not users. It's always free for users and we just want to be that trusted data source that that you don't get anywhere else to make those decisions. So that's that's a little bit of backstory on on Refu. I kind of gloss over how we went from 1000 to now <laughs> many 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 more tens of thousands of, of ratings, but, but it was a lot of hard work and effort. And, you know, we're, we're super pumped to continue that mission. And, um, you know, hopefully users will, will give us a look and take a look and gain value out of it. And it, it, we know that we're helping people make more money and get better jobs. And, and so we're excited about it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I love that, that the only way you really know is if you have a friend that works there, right, that will really tell you sort of the ins and outs and being able to gather that s- same data. I think that's amazing. Yep. Put, I'm sure it'll probably expand to all uh, other roles. I can see everybody else would love to hear that for their own roles too, not just in sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and sales, you know, we, we call sales like the overall umbrella of sales. Most of the data you see on the site really like account executives, SDRs, but what we do and are capturing data on customer success, account managers, sales operations, sales management. And so we're, we're, we're kind of, you know, slowly but surely 
filtering that data out onto the platform as well. And, and, and it's not just tech, you know, we've got finance, we've med device, pharma, most of what we have is tech, but we're, we're also kind of built, you know, expanding out into, into many other, other verticals as well that, that, that frankly experience the same challenges, mm-hmm. you know, that, that tech salespeople have as well with lack of transparency, challenges of hitting quota, um, you know, not understanding where the product market fit sits relative to competitors and things like that, which are all super, super important in terms of your ability to succeed as a salesperson. Yep. So, so you have a chance, you know, you mentioned some of the, you know, having a lot of different companies and you have a chance to work with many different organizations, right? And I think as we all know in the current um, market companies, especially in B2B, right, they're really struggling to find and really recruit and retain strong sales professionals. Mm -hmm. So what are you seeing Mm -hmm. companies do right when it comes to, you know, attracting and retaining this top talent? And maybe what are some of the things that you think they're doing wrong? Well, I think, so yes. So there is a supply and demand issue, first of all, with (laughs) sales talent and and other area, you know, development is another one that's, that's, you know, call it supply constrained uh, right now. And and there has not been, you know, it's, you wouldn't be surprised when people aren't surprised. Like there's so much venture capital money flowing into particularly tech companies. And most of that money is flowing into, Hey, build the product, hire developers and hit the next fundraise by adding 50 salespeople. And so that, that is, you know, and, and the fundraise, the $20 million series, that fundraise is secured by saying, by a, a pitch deck that shows what you're going to do to get to your $80 million series B you know, two and a half years later or whatever mm-hmm. the time is, sometimes sooner. And 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 you break that down and it's really one major lever and it's heads, it's people, yeah. it's bodies, it's quota carrying reps, QBSR, quota bearing sales rep. And um, and so that is there's a huge supply demand issue. And so so starting with that, right, and, and then that also leads to, you know, these quota bearing sales professionals are widgets in a spreadsheet. Right. And, and that leads to treatment of such like, hey, we, you know, we know we're going to trade 80. We got to hire 150. And, you know, the, this whole concept of, you know, you got to storm the beaches and you're going to lose some troops is like, you know, mm-hmm. that, that that is bad for salespeople, but it keeps happening. And so 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 that's just a little bit of some of the stuff we'd like to talk about and, 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 and help folks with. But. You know, what are your questions? What are companies doing differently to set themselves apart? And how, how do you, how are you, what are you doing to, to win those talent battles? There's a, there's definitely some things, right? So with COVID and the pandemic and work from home, there's a lot of evolution that has to happen with companies mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and so evolving your process, evolving your hiring process, and then evolving your environment. Those are two different things. So from a hiring process, why do you need to evolve your hiring process? Number one, I talk to salespeople every single day. I mean, three, four, five, six times a day, they're getting hit up by recruiters, right? Like it's, it's super aggressive, right? And so be smart about your interview process. So treat, and we, we have a big theme at RepView for the talent acquisition teams we work with, which is treat it like a sales funnel, right? Mm-hmm. Like what's your, you know, what, what, what's your, you know, time to respond, right? To candidate, mm-hmm. just like if you've got leads coming in, right? You've got yeah. a, you know, an SLA for leads. What is it? Is it 24 hours? Is it one business day? Is it same day? Well, you know, the same should be true for candidates. And and you, every day that goes by, if it, well, we have a four-day SLA. I've seen this. Our SLA is seven days. It's like, well, it's good that you have an SLA, but it's bad that it's really the wrong SLA. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like one day. So, so first of all, evolve. And then how many steps are in your process, right? So so there's, there's so many different levers you can pull 
with having an efficient hiring process that is, enables you because candidates are just not going to wait around four, five, six weeks. If you have a yeah. good one, be smart about that. Another one, you know, not necessarily related to the interview process is just the work environment, right? Like what, what you're selling as an environment is so different than it was three years ago. Yeah. Right? Like what's important now is flexibility. It's empowerment. It's, you know, work from home, it, you know, and, and there's come, if you're not allowing flexibility and, and work from home, particularly in a hybrid, you, it's you're going to be at a huge disadvantage, right? Well, five years ago, it's like, well, we have kegs every Friday. Like, okay, that <laughs> like talk about a 180 of like, what's important to people, right? Yeah. It really has completely changed. So, so think about what you're selling. So putting a rep slant on it, like we, people go and they're like, oh man, this org looks really, really bad. Like, oh my gosh. Well, no sales orgs are perfect. Like it's, it's not right. Every right. sales org has challenges and issues. I know from being a leader in sales that like we always, every quarter is like these, here's three things we know we need to do better to serve better for, to, to serve our people better. And so it's really less about, is there something wrong with this org? It's more about, is the org transparent in understanding what's wrong Mm-hmm. And then are they able to communicate that and, and even fix it, right? Like, I, you know, we tell salespeople all the time, ask hard questions, yeah. right? And then, and, and then you shouldn't be looking for dodging or like, no, rebutting it. What you should be looking for is, yeah, we know that only 48% of our team hits and, we, and, and then we want it to be 63%. And here's four things that we're doing over the next 12 months to get it from here to here, yeah. right? Now, now, as a candidate, like, I would love to hear that because like, all right, are those four things reasonable and doable and are they in their control? And, okay. and they recognize that it's their, it's their weak point, whatever that weak point may be. We're like jamming transparency down people's throats. But I think <laughs> at the same time, you know, at the same time, companies are embracing it more because they kind of have to. It's a world we live in, right? Yeah. You, you're not going to restaurant reviews, you know, on Yelp or whatever, yeah. and just every you know, Amazon, you know, you buy your toasters, like well, I got eight <laughs> toasters and I got 17,000 reviews on every toaster I purchased. Right. And it's like, it's like, why is it easier to find a review on a toaster that's $80 or than it is on this job that could cost me $300,000 over the next couple of years? You know, I think companies are embracing it, but you know, when you, when you talk about what are they doing right, it's like being transparent is super important and evolving with the changing environment is super important and just recognizing their strengths and weaknesses and knowing that no, no org is perfect. And when salespeople ask me about different orgs, you know, I always say that no, no sales org is perfect. It's just about, you know, let's find out where the weak points are and then are they, are they quote unquote fatal weaknesses from your ability to succeed there? Mm-hmm. Um, and then make a decision on that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I, I, I love the transparency. I think there's <laughs> your toaster analogy is really telling, right? I mean, there's just, there's transparency yeah. everywhere. Why, why wouldn't there be right in something as important as a career or a hire or a decision to do that? Right. So you touched on this a little bit. I think some of the things that, you know, maybe companies are doing right are probably the things that salespeople care about, but what are you seeing as yep. some of those top motivators for sales reps right now that they're one, they are looking for a new role or a new home. You know, I think people will automatically think it's money. I don't necessarily think it's always money. Right. 
it's OTE? It's is it attainment yeah. percentage? Is it growth? Is it that leadership? Like, what are some of those things that you're seeing? Well, you know, look, it all comes down to companies want to succeed, right? Companies want to be successful. They have to. They many of them have boards. Many of them have investors. Many of them are public, right? And so they they have to succeed, right? So they need they need to retain and they need to hire great people. Um, and I think that I, I agree with you, generally speaking, it's not always about money for, for a lot of people. I think money plays a role across most people. But I think what's related to money is is similar to in the company vein. It's like you want to win, right? Yeah. You just want to you want to get wins. You want to be successful, right? Like like and, and what does winning mean? Like maybe it means hitting quota. Maybe it means making a lot of money. But it just means like you're 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 succeeding and you're winning more than you're losing. Like, and that doesn't mean like I have a close percent over fifty percent. It it just means that like, for example, over the years, we're talking, what is sales culture like? How do you define sales culture? How does it? How do you draw? I, like, I don't know if there's one really good right answer for that. But what I can tell you is that it's really really easy to have a great sales culture when a lot of people are winning. Right. Right. It's like you're, it's really and and it's almost impossible. To have a great sales culture when nobody's winning. That's right. Right? Like it's just really, really hard. And so, and so then, well, then, all right, well, how do you win and how do you make people win? And that goes more to like overall organizational kind of, there's other big organizational things that play into that that are out of control. Now, certainly bad leadership is a problem. You know, a, a really important one is product market fit. And this mm -hmm. is what we talk a lot about for people interviewing is like, well, who is this company? Where do they sit in their market? How, you know, how is their product and what is their trajectory, right? Because it, there, there's, there's such a key factor in your ability to win, right? So it's like, what are salespeople looking for? They're, they're looking for the ability to win, right? Yes, that will translate to making money and hitting quota, okay? But, but I see those are effects, mm -hmm. right? Th those, are, those are side effects of winning, you know? You know, and, and so, and so when you look at like, what is it, the data that we like to capture is like, all right, well, do you like your incentive comp plan? Do you, how is the culture? Right. And we, and then, but I usually dig in really personally on like that product market fit issue. Um, I use the example of, you know, throw a great leadership team at a bad product and the product wins every time. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's because it's just really, it's really hard to rack up those wins. So, you know, I, I think, I think for me, you know, and it goes back to that other question, like, well, yeah, what is culture? Culture is no longer like, like office kegs, <laughs> right? It's like, well, people are kind of sulking around, people will be sulking around the office keg if they all just hit, you know, 48% of quota, right? Yeah. <laughs> Versus like, if they, if they all hit 20% of quota, and then they're probably at home and doing their remote work. But I don't know. So, so I, I just, I just always come back to like, what are the, what are the, the, contributing factors for the ability to have a large percentage of your sales team win and what are the things that go in product market fit strong leadership uh, a mm -hmm. process right i know you know about revenue operations <laughs> right like how tight is that process and does it match up with you know the, the go-to-market strategy and, and does it put people in the seat to drive that that bus to, to wins as well so process the right people the right you know the right product you know and, and that equals winning. And then again, money is just a side effect of yeah. winning. 
So that's, that's what people want. They want to win yeah. you know, more than anything I love that. else. I love that. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit more about transparency. I think, you know, more and more we're seeing yeah. companies support, as you were saying, more transparency, right? When it comes to compensation, to achievement, and some of those other data points that maybe in the past have been more difficult right, to, to retrieve. I think, you know, this is maybe probably due to just the demand from employees, right, and potential candidates, similar to, I guess, your toaster example as buyers, right, we're really demanding, we want that transparency as well. So I guess in terms mm -hmm. of from a company perspective, like, what are you seeing in terms of trends here? And where do you, where do you see things going? Well, I would say two years ago, it was like, you know, if you, if you ask companies, you know, hey, how, what percent of your team hit mm -hmm. quota? Like, you, you know, you get a lot of deer in mm -hmm. headlights, you get a lot of pushback, you get a lot like that's just, whoa, you know. And I think that's something that we're happy to have helped play a small role in contributing. Like, this is normal, right? This is like, and I, I've probably posted this on LinkedIn before, which is like, hey, if the company's asking you if you hit quota, <laughs> yeah. You know, you need to ask them who hit quota on their yeah. team, right? What's the difference, right? It's the same thing. So let, let's, 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 you know, focus on that. So, so how are companies? And so I think I, I'm, I'm reasonably encouraged, I'll say, in the progress that is being made with regard to companies being more open to sharing this data, right? Like, and, and, and what is this data, right? This data, this data is around their performance, right? They're, they're how, and when I say their performance, I mean, the performance of the people on the team where you're going to be taking a job in a similar, you know, in a similar role, right? Like I'm going to be taking a mid-market AE role at software company XYZ, like well, what's happening there now, right? Like what, like the, the key thing is like, can I succeed there? What the company is trying to do in the interview process is determine, can you succeed here? What you're trying to do is figure out, can I yeah. succeed there? Those are the same mm -hmm. things, right? So let's get together on this process and mutually agree if I can succeed there. And the companies who are, you know, I think there's a, there's a simple formula, expectation minus reality equals disappointment, oh. right? So if you do the math on that, if, if my expectation <laughs> is way ahead, you know, so, so, so basically what that means is if you, if, you, if you as a hiring manager get those people to come in and work for you and you know, you've sold them on something that is not legitimate. Trust me, it does not take long for people to yeah. figure that out. Right. And in today's day and age, guess what? They've got people that are calling them every day, even if they've only been at your company for three months, they're getting called yeah. every day. And so this whole concept of like expectations minus reality equals disappointment is a, like a legitimate formula. Like how, how big is the gap between their expectations and reality? So as a hiring manager, if you close that gap and expectations equal reality, right? Then there's no disappointment, right. right? Because you are totally transparent. And that to me is, is almost the definition of transparency is having an expectation uh, synced up very well with, with reality. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, it, it also goes back to like, you know, j just, just transparency in general and, and knowing that every sales org, no sales org is imperfect. Like just disclose the yeah. problems. Like this is our issue. Our issue of lead flow is low. Our issue is you know, and, and, and maybe, you know what, so guess what, if you want, you're going to have to create 50% of your own pipeline. And you do that by making, you know, an average of 28 cold calls per day as an account executive. Guess what, there's a lot of salespeople that are totally mm -hmm. fine with that. Totally fine with that. And, and, and you know what, if you hire those people that are totally fine with it, then guess what, attrition is low. And, and they're fine mm -hmm. with it. 
Whereas if you hide that and you know that some salespeople that are account executives, maybe they already put in a bunch of time as an mm-hmm. SDR. Maybe they're just like, I'm not good at cold calling and I hate it. And, and maybe there's some roles where they, they can be successful and not do that. But if you jam them into your role where you got to make 28 cold calls a day and they yeah. guess what? And disappointment abounds because of the gap between reality and expectation. You know, so, you know, I think, I think when you talk about transparency and when you talk about, you know, what's, how are companies evolving? I think, you know, there's a long winded answer to say that I do see progress and I see more companies embracing transparency and, and owning their warts and knowing that if they don't, it's just an endless cycle of 50% or more attrition in key sales roles, which do the math is going to just, you know, it crush your ability to be successful from an organizational yep. standpoint. Yep. I love that. Thank you. You know, as I, as I think about, you know, the revenue engine and I think about this podcast, I'm always hoping others will be able to learn how to accelerate growth, right? Accelerate revenue growth and really power that revenue engine. So I guess as a CEO and founder yourself and long-term sales leader as well, mm-hmm. I think from your perspective, you know, what are the top maybe two or three things that you think, hey, all CEOs and founders should really be thinking about today to establish that right organization for growing and accelerating revenue. Yeah, it's really interesting because yes, I'm a CEO and founder, but also a sales manager, you know, and, and I'm a pretty heavy process person, I love that, right? music like, to my ears. Like I, <laughs> yeah, I'm our Salesforce admin oh, at Refu, by nice. the way. Like I do the Salesforce admin. <laughs> like, I probably need I probably need some professional <laughs> guidance on it. You could probably help us out a little bit, but. I get it. I do it just enough, right? So, so I think that you know I'm a big advocate for for sales ops, and I think establishing a process and and a and a, and a assembly line. I like to use it like I'm like I like to use like the phrase like you got to Henry Fordize your you know your yeah. system as early as possible, right? Even if even if there's manual things that have to happen here and there, but like conceptually, like how does how does an opportunity get generated? Where does it come from literally? Where does it live in your system? How does it get converted? What are the stages? How does it convert to an, an account? And then what are you doing? And then how are you treating that? And then renewals and like, so I'm like a I'm like a, a different type of CEO than many tech founders because like I think about that stuff all the time. I actually get excited about different things, not to not to get too in the weeds, but like I get excited about you know, RepU has like a back end of all this data and things like that. And I'm like, man, think about how we could integrate that in the <laughs> Salesforce. And then we could trigger this and trigger that and trigger this and trigger that. That would be so awesome. And so like, I kind of geek out <laughs> on that. And so I think, you know, from a, from a growth standpoint, there's plenty of companies that have just like created amazing product market fit and like grown ridiculously fast. And that's amazing. And I think even those companies are, are you know, they, they, they get to some point and they're like, they've created a lot of work for themselves to then go back and like put process on top of all this good stuff that's happening. Right. Whereas if you, if you can actually just think a little bit about it, like we probably like, you know, we had Salesforce before we had any customers, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, at at RepView. And it's like, well, why would you do that? Well, here's six reasons why we did that. Right. And here's, you know, and, and so, so, so I just, you know, from a, from a growth standpoint, I think that, and then I think, you know, I, I think that a lot of people when they're just starting out too, and you want to grow, like just start doing stuff. Like this is not sales specific or or process specific, but like starting a company, doing a startup. I want to start something. Like even before, like don't like 
don't write a, a 40 page business plan of like this, that, or the other, go like, go talk to customer here and there, go, if you have any coding skills, just try and build a prototype, get in front of somebody, just like start checking things off a list, mm-hmm. right? Like just, you know, you, you, you just have to get started, you know, somewhere, right? Like you have to take the first step in the marathon. At some point you go across the starting line. And I think there, I, I've seen people that like want to do something, want to build something, want to start something. And it's people like, I don't know where to start. And it's like mm-hmm. anywhere. Like did any like you're like well I could do this I could do this do that like just any of it just do one of them because when you do that one thing then once that's done you have to do something else and I think that that that's a that's a key blocker for so many people is like being being paralyzed about where to start or like I didn't write a business plan it's like forget about a business plan you know like if you know you and, and with today's technology there's ways to do a lot of this stuff without really investing a lot you know a lot of money whatever and then i don't know different people have different ideas and some is more tech heavy than others but you know so so those are those are kind of two two slants on on growth one is my sales off slant and one is my just do it nike nike, <laughs> nike slant i love it i love it i love that thank you yeah. um are there is are there things that maybe you wish you knew earlier or maybe you might do differently if you could do it all sort of start over again yeah I, other people ask me this too and like um I mean, looking back, tons of stuff, right? I, I filed it. I filed them under mistakes, but I also filed it under like I, I don't know if there's a way we w- would have been really easy to like know not to do something, you know, or or to do mm-hmm. something differently. Like with with Repu, right? Like you know, how do we get early users? We tried this, we tried that, we spent resources doing this. Like on the marketing side, well, that didn't work. Like you know, there, there's there's an there's many examples, right? Like when we, you know. We, Ultimately, Repu wants to attract salespeople and they, they, you know, they can access the site and the data. They'll leave us some data. And so, so in that way, you know, there's a B2C component to it, just getting people, getting users to it, right? So then you look at, so then what do you do, right, when you're first starting out? Well, what are some successful examples of that, right? What did they do, right? So you look at that and you think, oh, that, like, I remember early on we looked at different things and I looked at different things. It was like, oh, this Dollar Shave Club, what did they do, right? And it's like, <laughs> but they did this pre-launch thing and they got this list and it's like, all right, well, maybe it's not relevant to us, but they did that and it worked really, really well. And so we like built this pre-launch like list and it was like, hey, get, you're going to get access to this repu thing earlier. And it's like the list wasn't that big and then it really wasn't that compelling. And it was like, man, how much, how much, re- like we just wasted, you know, like way too many resources on that. But then like, you know, you learn things and you're able to leverage some of that for something else. And then same with other marketing experiments we did early on, like that just that just fell flat, um, you know, to try and really all we're trying to do is just salespeople generally like RepView when they see it. So it's like, how do we, we just need to make people aware of it. And, you know, if they don't like it, they, that's fine. They, they can just matriculate on to something else. If they do, they'll leave a rating. And, and so we, we're just trying to drive awareness. We tried tons of stuff. Some of it worked really, really well. Some, some of it didn't, you know, so when people ask me, what would I do differently? I'm like, there's probably, there's, there's like 80 things I would do differently. And it would be like, <laughs> we, we grow like four times as fast, but, but, but that's also just part of starting a business. Like there's, there's no way to know everything you should do at every, at every step of the way and be, and, and have it be perfect. So yeah. I, I wish, I wish, you know, I wish there was, but there's just not. That's actually really good advice though. I think, and even just this, the point about just get started, mm-hmm. right? Just, just take that first step and just get started. I love that. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, thank you so much for joining me, Ryan. But as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always ask every guest two things. One, what is the one thing about you that others would be surprised to learn? (laughs) And two, (laughs) what is the one thing you want everyone to know about you? And sometimes they're the same thing. Yeah, no, I got two different ones for you for that. So, so what's surprised? I think it's surprised. Like, so I have two cars. So I'm married. I have a couple of kids. My kids are 14 and 12. I don't think that's others would be surprised about that necessarily. But so I have two cars and the, the newest car that I have is not new enough to have Bluetooth in it. Like if that tells you okay. how. <laughs> <laughs> like how what my what my situation is there i'm not going to go into any more detail people on my team know uh what's going on with that but but yeah the, the newest car that i have is is not new enough to have and then what what everyone what, what, what do we want everyone to know I, I think the most important thing right is like you see you see this company rep view and and you use this in the intro it's like built by sales professionals now right of course we, we have people that are like coders that are helping and that are doing stuff and on the team and, and that sort of thing but truly like my like i am a salesperson we are salespeople. we're building it for salespeople. our background is in sales we know sales really well and we know what you know our, our mission is to empower salespeople. And I use the story of like, when I was running a sales organization, I was able to impact the careers of people, hopefully positively, maybe not all, but I think a lot of them would say maybe I, I did. But that was on such a small scale. And so is it, it, this is a mission-driven thing where it's like we can impact people's careers on a on a huge scale. And that's really what we want to do. So I, I just, you know, I, um, I want people to know that we're coming at it from a standpoint of being genuine to the profession that is sales and wanting to to uplift careers of people who engage with our business in in some way. So that's oh, how I love I'll leave that. It. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for being on the show. I'm actually really excited about just kind of going back and listening to all the things that you said, because I think you've shared so many great insights and just so many great learnings for everybody. So just really appreciative of your time and um, looking forward to seeing what's next and watching your journey. Awesome. Uh, Thank you so much, Roslyn, for having me on the show and look forward to listening to it as well. And uh, great to get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, thank you. 